It's philosophy talk. One of the, the things that really struck me at thinking about Hurricane Katrina, what it teaches us about race and class, is how race and class structure our moral imagination in this country. America is a classless society. It's how much money you've got that matters. The whole issue of equality is not really on, the, on our radar screen politically. I think it's very easy for middle-class Americans, and especially for wealthy Americans, to live in a, in a bubble and not realize uh, what it's like for people who are in poverty. Race, class, and inequality. Our guest, Elizabeth Keish from Duke University. If you're one paycheck away from poverty, as a lot of Americans are, your circumstances are entirely different when you're made more vulnerable by something like Katrina. Recorded before a live studio audience in Portland, Oregon. Race, class, and inequality. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Today, we've taken Philosophy Talk on the road again. We're in Portland, Oregon, at the studios of Oregon Public Broadcasting, the radio and TV studio, in front of a live audience. Our thinking, however, starts on the Stanford campus at Philosopher's Corner. And from there, we migrate to the air, the TV air, and the radio air, and then from there to the internet via our blog, theblog.philosophytalk.org. Today's program is made possible by Oregon Public Broadcasting, and we're really grateful to this group for making it possible. And we're very pleased to meet you folks from Oregon. Uh, You've been our faithful listeners, and it's really good to meet you in person. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, folks. Today, our topic is race, class, and inequality in America. So, John... Those three big things. What philosophical questions do those three big things raise? Those three big things, you could ask what philosophical questions don't they raise? Just start with equality. That's one of the key words in the Declaration of Independence. But what do those guys have in mind? Do you think that George Washington and Thomas Jefferson intended to break up their plantations so every American citizen could have an equal share? I don't think so. You're thinking of economic equality or inequality. And that's one kind of equality or inequality. But there's also political equality. I think they were thinking of every American, well, at least some Americans, <laughs> being equal citizens, having an equal say in, gov- in, in governance, right? You know, one, one person, one vote. At right. that time, one white male, one yeah, vote. But right, all white men one are created property, equal. One white male, <laughs> one vote. Right. Well, true. And, and so that's an American ideal. Equality before the law, both with respect to uh, when the law is uh, arresting you, everybody gets treated equally, or when you're helping form the law, representative democracy. Also, equality of educational opportunity has over the years become very important to Americans. But I kind of wonder, if you have great inequalities in wealth, so you have wealth influencing the courts, influencing the legislature, influencing the quality of schools that the wealthiest children attend, can you really have those other kinds of equality without real economic equality? Uh, that's a very good question, especially when the inequalities of wealth track things like race, so that the wealthy people are all white and the not-so-wealthy people Many of them are non-white. And if that's systematic, you have a big problem. I well, think. we don't want to overgeneralize, Ken. I, I know some black people that live in Los Altos, which isn't well. exactly Povertyville, <laughs> well, uh, like you. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's also questions about class. I mean, you might say, well, if you have rich people and poor people, you have class distinctions. But you might think you want a society in which differences in class don't make a difference in what kind of education you get, what kind of health care you get. So one conception is economic inequality is okay. Within limits, it may be necessary to really get the most productivity out of the talented few. That's an old idea that, by and large, hasn't been challenged by American philosophers. They haven't been as egalitarian as they might be. But everybody agrees that it shouldn't track race and class. You shouldn't say that economic inequalities are, are, are based on race and class as opposed to talent and skill and hard work. You know, to give us a kind of philosophical retrospective on philosophical thinking about equality over the ages, I know the one and only one person who can do that in short compass. That's Ian Shows, the 62nd Philosopher. Ian Scholes, during perhaps the worst crisis in American history, Abraham Lincoln said, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth in this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Well, he didn't mention women, but you get the idea. Also at the time he gave the address, black men and women had not really been entered into the equality equation. Equality is a recent concept. Until the 18th century, it was assumed that human beings are unequal. Here's Martin Luther, for instance, from the 15th century. Some must be free, some serfs, some rulers, some subjects. The concept of equality gave us both our flawed republic and the French Revolution, so it remains problematic. Sure, the world abounds with pro-equality proverbs and sound bites. Bernard Baruch said, both poor and rich attend funerals. Compare that to the pre-democratic Roman Seneca, who wrote, The sun shines even on the wicked. I'll put it that way, it's not exactly a reassuring thought. Is equality a given? Neoconservative Irving Kristol said, Democracy does not guarantee equality of conditions, it only guarantees equality of opportunity. Anatole France issued a similar thought, a bit more cynically. The law, in its majestic equality, forbids the rich as well as the poor to sleep under bridges, to beg on the streets, and to steal bread. Firebrand Camille Paglia, the trauma of the 60s persuaded me that my generation's egalitarianism was a sentimental error. I now see the hierarchical as both beautiful and necessary. Efficiency liberates. Egalitarianism tangles, delays, blocks, deadens. Take that, equality. Balzac wrote, equality may perhaps be a right, but no power on earth can ever turn it into a fact. And there are many who want to keep equality a fiction. The Marquis de Sade would have none of it. If the objects who serve us feel ecstasy, they're much more often concerned with themselves than with us, and our own enjoyment is consequently impaired. The idea of seeing another person experience the same pleasure reduces one to a kind of equality which spoils the unutterable charms that come from despotism. And here's what radical feminist Andrea Dorkin had to say about despotism's unutterable charms. A commitment to sexual equality with males is a commitment to becoming the rich instead of the poor, the rapist instead of the raped, the murderer instead of the murdered. Does equality even exist? Hannah Arendt, it is not true that equality is a law of nature. Nature has no equality. Its sovereign law is subordination and dependence. Sam Johnson, so far is it from being true that men are naturally equal that no two people can be half an hour together, but one shall acquire an evident superiority over the other. And how far does this alleged equality go? The People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals considers us guilty of speciesism. Animals are our equals, according to PETA. On the other hand, as Orwell ironically put it in Animal Farm, all animals are equal. But some animals are more equal than others. Take that, PETA. I gotta go. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.